Hello, everyone, and welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear, the news, interviews, holistic healing tips, and easy actions you can take to join the international movement against nuclear power and all things nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi, and I'm doing this because I was one mile away from the nuclear reactor accident at Three Mile Island when it happened. I had a little bit of activism back then, but quite frankly, the post-traumatic stress was so bad, I could not continue. And I did not wake up from that position until after March 11th this year with the Fukushima tragedy. And this program is my citizen activist response in the wake of Fukushima to lend my voice to this growing anti-nuclear movement that we have. Today's program is going to be a little different than the others. Um, I've just come back from the San Francisco area. On Sunday, this past Sunday, there was a big anti-nuclear concert that was sponsored by the Nuclear, Nuclear Information and Resource Service, and we interviewed their executive director, Mark, Michael Marriott, on last, last week's show. The concert was by Musicians United for Safe Energy, or MUSE. Now, this brought together anti-nuclear activists from around the country, and they had a chance to work together, hold strategy sessions, as well as have some fun. I was able to partake of this group of people and become involved and really step into it as a peer, as someone who is of service to them and to the movement that we share. And it was a marvelous experience for me of finding a tribe of people with whom I can communicate. What's great about this for you is that I was able to interview many of them. And I will be using these activist voices, these activist moments, throughout this show and in others that I will be doing. Of special importance today is an interview I was able to conduct with Aileen Miyoko-Smith. She is the Executive Director of Green Action Japan, which is based in Kyoto. Now, Aileen is working directly with families in Fukushima. And what she has to say on this interview is both shocking and deeply moving. And that will be coming up shortly. Today is Tuesday, August 9, 2011. Day 151 since the Fukushima tragedy began on March 11th, and also the 66th anniversary of the dropping of the atomic bomb on Nagasaki. Here is the latest nuclear news. The mainstream media seems to be waking up to the importance of these issues and the fact that they're not going to go away, nor will we the people let them go away. Yesterday, in the New York Times, uh, there was an article entitled, Japan Hid Radiation Path, Leaving Evacuees in Peril. And it tells the story of, it starts out with the story of residents at a town near Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant, town of Na Nami, my pardon, I don't know Japanese, so I'm sure my pronunciation is off. But they were set to evacuate, and with no guidance coming from the government, the town officials led the people in the direction they thought would be furthest away from the radiation. So they went north. What they didn't realize, however, was that because of seasonal winds blowing across the Fukushima plant, they were actually in, in an area of the greatest radiation concentration. Now, that was the lead in the New York Times article, and they went on to go in great detail about the fact that some current and former government officials have admitted 
that Japanese authorities tried to, quote, limit the size of costly, listen to that word in there when human lives are at stake, costly and disruptive evacuations in land-scarce Japan and to avoid public questioning of the politically powerful nuclear industry. Current and former officials of in Japan who were interviewed by the Times said that a wider evacuation zone would have meant uprooting hundreds of thousands of people. The government was desperate to limit evacuations beyond the 80,000 people already moved from areas around the plant. Now, a top Japanese expert on radiation measurement, Toshiso Kosako, uh, is someone who resigned from an advisory group to Japan's prime minister over these issues. And he said, quote, The prime minister's office refused to release the results even after it was being made aware of this system that that gave the radiation projections. He said, uh, Kosaka went on to say it was because, quote, officials there did not want to take responsibility for costly, again that money word, evacuations if their estimates were later called into question. More from the article, officials have admitted that Japanese authorities engaged in a pattern of withholding damaging information and denying facts of the nuclear disaster and that the computer forecasts were among many pieces of information the authorities initially withheld. In addition, the meltdowns were unacknowledged officially for months. And here's a new piece of information from the New York Times article. In one of the most damning admissions, nuclear regulators said in early June that inspectors had found tellurium-132, which experts call telltale evidence of reactor meltdowns. They found this a day after the tsunami, but did not tell people for nearly three months. Name's mayor, Tamotsu Baba, said that the withholding of information was akin to, quote-unquote, murder. I think that's a really good lead-in to the first interview that I have for us today. Uh, a really wonderful woman named Eileen Miyoko Smith. Now, Eileen works for Green Action Japan, and uh, she came in specifically to address the audience at the Muse concert and then was available yesterday where I had the opportunity to interview her. And here, very briefly, is what she had to say. My name is Eileen Miyoko-Smith. I'm executive director of a Japanese NGO called Green Action. We're based in Kyoto, Japan. Uh, we work with Fukushima groups. Uh, we're also working to end nuclear power in Japan. Japanese groups have been very active trying to stop nuclear power plants. Uh, we've been successful in stopping probably a couple dozen. Uh, otherwise, Japan would be highly dependent on nuclear power. Uh, right now, about a third of electricity is nuclear. Uh, but since the Fukushima accident, um, we have a total of 59 nuclear power plants, but 39 are shut down and only 15 left to go. And we're determined to keep the ones that are shut shut and the ones that are still operating be shut down and not go up after they um, go into outage. Hold on a moment while I get the next part of the tape ready. The eyes of the world have to be on Fukushima. Otherwise, the Japanese government is trying to get away with not evacuating people. Uh, right now, there are around 300,000 children that are living in really highly contaminated areas in Fukushima. 
um, the Japanese government is trying to say that it's safe for children uh, to live under those conditions. Um, they're allowing four times more radiation exposure to these children than what was mandatory evacuation in Chernobyl, even for adults. So we're demanding uh, that uh, citizens have a right to evacuate, and if families want to leave the area that's contaminated, that they can be supported by the government um, so that they can move to another location in Japan and start off new jobs and be able to support their family in the same way that they lived in Fukushima. Uh, but right now, there's no support. And so families are put asunder. Um, the uh, mothers have to leave with the kids, and the fathers stay on in the contaminated area and continue to work there so that the family can be supported. Um, the way the international community can help us is to have its eyes on Fukushima and see what the Japanese government is doing and um, see that um, the Japanese government isn't saving the children of Japan and actually you know, write the Japanese government and say, why, um, do not you, why don't you take care of the children in Japan? Any government should uh, take care of its own children, the citizens that are children. And if a lot of letters get written, to the Japanese embassy saying, we don't understand why the Japanese government um, you know, doesn't care about the children in Japan, that would really have um, a, a strong influence and to help um, evacuation. If we were to write these letters, and I encourage everyone hearing this to do so, is it best to write to, if there's a local Japanese embassy, is it best to write to the country? And if so, at what level, where in the country? How might we send our letters so that they would have the greatest impact? I would say, if you hear this, write the closest consulate in your area. If you're in the U.S., you know, there, I think there are a couple of consulates. Or the embassy in your country. So if it's the U.S., it would be Washington, D.C., uh, Japanese embassy there. Uh, and and then demand that a copy be sent to the uh, the sort of department in Japan that is in charge of this evacuation issue. So it's not just kept within the embassy and uh, make that public. And the best is then to tweet it and say, I sent a letter to the Japanese embassy so that it's not just gobbled up by the Japanese government system and that um, people find out that these letters are being written. Great. Is it possible for you to let us know what an address might be in Japan so that we have something direct and um, can pass that information along? Also, is there any way to have a sample letter, or would you rather just have us do it, the outpouring of whatever happens to be on our minds? Yeah, I think an outpouring is the most important because then it's really coming from individuals. It's not like an organized form letter. Um, and uh, our organization, again, is called Green Action. We're based in Kyoto, Japan. If you just Google Green Action Japan, you'll come to our website. Uh, we also have within our website uh, an English site that's a Fukushima Update blog. All you have to do is put Fukushima Update Green Action, four words and you'll come to our blog. And it will talk a lot about, you, we have translated stuff into Japan, into English about the action that Fukushima citizens are taking to try to save their children. We in Japan have a lot to do with those citizens in California because we have nuclear power plants and earthquake faults in the same location. And so I think jointly we should 
we, we could work together to stop those plants and shut them down. So that would be San Onofre and Diablo Canyon. Actually, Fukushima citizens talk about San Onofre and Diablo Canyon and are worried about those reactors. And, you know, they, it's, it really can happen here. Um, and then I hear that Indian Point in, in New York State is actually um, earthquake-wise dangerous. So there are other places in the U.S. that should be concerned about earthquakes. Um, and I think that the evacuation zone now, this 10-mile, is, is, is ridiculous. And I think Fukushima has shown that. So if groups here in, in the U.S., can talk with citizens beyond the 10-mile and say, do you really want to face the fact that you're going to be covered with radiation, your kids are going to have to eat the food that's irradiated, you know, live soak in radiation. Even in your bedroom, you're going to be sleeping and breathing in radiation. Do you really want that? Do you want your homes to be completely worthless, still carrying on a mortgage? Um, I think that if you start to talk to citizens that live near nuclear power plants, like within 30 miles, you'll find a lot of concern. And, again, give us the website so that we can find you. Just type in Green Action Japan, and you'll come to our site. If you want to come to our Fukushima blog, just type in Green Action Fukushima Update. That was Eileen Miyoko-Smith of Green Action Japan. And to follow up on what she was talking about, uh, the Japanese embassy in Washington, D.C. Here's the address. I'm also going to post it on uh, the blog, but uh, the, my new blog. I'll tell you about that in a moment. But that's it. the address is 2520 Massachusetts Avenue Northwest, Washington, D.C., 20008. And the, uh, the ambassador of Japan to the United States is Ikiro Fujisaki. That's I-C-H-I-R-O. And the last name, Fujisaki, F-U-J-I-S-A-K-I. If you wish to support uh, Aileen's work and the need of these children to be evacuated and families to be evacuated from the Fukushima area, please write a letter and then do as she suggests, tweet it, because the power of tweet is going to be very important as we move forward. There's another point that I would like to uh, make based on what Aileen was saying that's very important. There has been great emphasis placed on um, the fact that uh, Fukushima happened after the tsunami. However, as we reported on Nuclear Hot Seat a few weeks ago, there were some whistleblowers that came forward. This was information that was gleaned from research online. There were whistleblowers that came forward and were, were reported in various news media that said that they worked at the plant and that at, in Fukushima and that after the earthquake but before the tsunami, the pipes in the nuclear reactor broke, and that was what began the disaster. It did, wasn't started by the, the tsunami. It certainly wasn't helped by that. But that the initial damage was done by an earthquake. The difference in that is huge because a tsunami is uh, maybe once in a lifetime. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. Gee, we're too far away from the ocean. It's not going to happen. Lots of excuses can be made uh, here in the United States supporting nuclear power because of the rarity of uh, a tsunami, let alone that one that big. However, with the emphasis being placed where it deserves to be, which is on the fact that the initial damage and the initial problem was created by the quake and not the tsunami, 
that then broadens the scope to include our very tenuously based nuclear reactors here in California in San Onofre and also Diablo Canyon, as she mentioned. Can you imagine the people in Fukushima sitting around and saying, gee, I'm really worried about those people in those reactors in California because of what could happen to them? That with all their problems, they're thinking about us. So in your languaging, uh, when you engage in conversation with people, please make certain that you do not say that this was created by the tsunami. It was created by the quake. It's much more accurate, and uh, it's much more pertinent to the ongoing battle that we have. Now, I was talking about the mainstream media waking up, and they're all doing it in their own particular ways. Um, today, August 9th, there was actually an article in the Wall Street Journal, which is usually a very conservative publication. And it's still conservative here, um, but it's an article on uh, the cost, the finances of nuclear waste, and they now consider the cost unsustainable. They don't consider nukes unsustainable, but the cost of maintaining the waste of the nukes unsustainable. It's an article written by Mark uh, Merrimont, and he has one of the best leads I have seen. One, a lead is meant to grab your attention, and this is how he starts the article. Imagine a football field packed 20 feet high with highly radioactive nuclear waste. That's about the volume of the 65,000 metric tons of spent nuclear fuel stranded at dozens of nuclear sites across the United States. It isn't just a public health hazard, but a growing burden on the federal government's groaning finances. And every day, more working nuclear reactors create more of this waste. And he goes on to parse out what the numbers are. Um, it may not be the most compelling for those of us who feel an emotional attachment to this issue, but for people who feel an emotional attachment to their money and their investment portfolios, um, it has the potential to make a huge impact on our behalf. So uh, I take this as a very good sign that mainstream thinking is starting to turn around to our perspective for whatever reason. I'll take it for whatever reason. Um, I'm still recovering from the trip that I took, so today's podcast is going to be a little bit shorter than most, but I still have some uh, additional news to share and one more recording that I will play for you. Um, I loved this story. Um, the Philippines have uh, what they're calling a nuclear white elephant. Uh, they completed building a nuclear reactor in 1985 uh, in the Bataan Peninsula, but it's never been used. And now activists hope to turn it into an ecotourism destination, uh, an, explore, an exploratory ecotour for journalists, nature lovers, and adventure sports enthusiasts. Can't you just see repelling down the outside of the containment structure? Adventure sports enthusiasts have already been launched at the Bataan Nuclear Power Plant. Uh, it is uh, to the west of the national capital. Now, here's what's interesting. This sense of ecotourism to an unused nuclear plant has got support from Greenpeace and local non-government organizations. The Greenpeace has said that they want to support this as a monument to remind people of the inherent dangers of nuclear power. Uh, there's already a nuclear power plant in Kalkar, Germany, uh, that was never used and was turned into a theme park in 1995. Uh, it was completed in 1986, never used. And since 1995, it has received approximately 600,000 tourists a year. 
Too bad we can't shut down the ones that are currently in use and use those as ecotourism destinations, but we don't know how to get rid of the waste and the radioactivity. So those are going to be off limits when we finally get them shut down. I have a very hopeful audio that I recorded with uh, one of the participants um, in yesterday in the conversations that we were having about uh, organizing for a nuclear-free California. And I'd like to have you listen to that, and then I'll come back with some easy activist actions. Hi, I'm Mary Beth Brangan from the Ecological Options Network, E.ON. And I'm not depressed. Are you depressed? This is such a depressing time to be alive (laughs) unless you are taking action. And that makes all the difference in the world. If you are doing something to make the world a better place, you can feel good about yourself. And when you feel good about yourself, you can re- gain that ability to enjoy life and be in the moment and savor the sweetness of the joys that life does bring. And despite all of our challenges, and in fact because of our challenges, we are all growing. And growth is essential to life. Not to the corporations. We don't want them to continue growing (laughs) necessarily. That's been our problem. But inner growth in the terms of making our world a better place, taking action, whatever it is, a small step or a large step, that's what makes you happy and makes your life worth living. Our website is eon3, E-O-N, the number 3, dot net, and we have a blog, eon3, EMF for electromagnetic frequencies, blog, dot net. We also have a YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash eon3. So with that as an assurance that we're all going to feel better for the actions that we take and that we continue to take, here are some easy activist actions. Of course, you heard from uh, Aileen about the need to both write to the ambassador of Japan to the United States. As I said, I will be putting that up on uh, the blog. Um, And then tweet it. Let other people know that you have done this so that it doesn't uh, vanish into the ozone. Here are a couple of other things. There is currently a petition, the Fukushima Radioactive Fallout Food Safety Petition. It's on change.org. This was actually put together by one of the members, one of the people who subscribes to Nuclear Hot Seat. And uh, this petition covers three significant areas that addresses Congress, President Obama, and uh, other involved federal agencies. First, that we need to monitor all food and water imports from Japan for safety. Second, that we must significantly expand the monitoring of air particulates, rainwater, drinking water, and milk, and to make the findings readily transparent and immediately available to the public. In other words, the exact opposite of what Japan did, as reported in the New York Times today. The third step of this is that the necessary departments, uh, this asks for the Department of Agriculture and the Food and Drug Administration. I don't know if we can trust the FDA. They're too busy busting raw foods co-ops because they sell raw milk, and that's a far greater threat to the American health than radiation. But in any event, but it does ask for adequate funding to go to these organizations for expanded food and water inspection, both here and overseas, 
and to communicate these findings immediately to the public. It's a place where we can join to have our, our voices come together as one to maybe make an input. That is available. Go to change.org. And in their search function, if you put in Fukushima, this is the second petition down. There are other petitions there. Feel free to look at them. But uh, this one is starting to gain some muscle and uh, I think has uh, some really good thought behind it. Now, also on Facebook, um, Sasu's – yes, hello? Oh, hi. This is Kim Roberson. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say I'm the woman who wrote the petition, and it's easy to find because it has the radiation symbol next to it. It's, I think, the second petition down on the list. Yes, it is, Kim, and I want to thank you very much for having taken that action on our behalf. You've, uh, you also came up with a um, major report that I have cited and also sent people to, um, which I've mentioned on this program before. So thank you so much for, for participating. Thank you. I signed in kind of late, but thank you so much for mentioning the petition and to Aileen for everything she's doing as well. We're doing it. You know, all we can do is what we can do with our energy, with our time, with our focus. The issues are too big for any one person to take them all in. But if we take, you know, it's like, how do you eat an elephant? A bite at a time. Um, That's right. You know, we will do this in whatever pace that we can. Um, Could I possibly mention one more thing? Sure, go ahead that people could take for action. Um, we started the Fukushima Fallout Awareness Network, and that includes members of Citizens for Health, um, uh, E.ON, Mary Beth Branken's group, she just spoke, uh, Physicians for Social Responsibility, Beyond Nuclear, and other concerned individuals. And we're calling on Senator Boxer to hold congressional hearings into the issue of the monitoring and the lack of monitoring and transparency in her state, and we're asking for people to write letters to Senator Boxer, you know, demanding these hearings when Congress reconvenes. This kind of came out after the petition ran for a while. It just started to seem like there were so many questions, one after another, it was just becoming a quagmire, and just simply asking for the things we're asking for in the petition didn't seem to be enough. So we really need to know more about what's going on between these federal agencies, what they might already know, and to make those findings public. So we're asking for the hearings. And we've met with Feinstein and Boxer's offices. Um, Senator Boxer is at the head of the um, Environmental and Public Works Committee. She chairs that committee, so she's in a very good position to hold the hearings. And then Senator Feinstein um, is at the helm of an appropriations committee that has FDA oversight. So we're asking her to not cut the food inspection budget for 2012. If anything, a hard thing to ask for these days, but we're going to need more funding when it comes to testing this food. So that all came around after the petition. I just wanted to, to mention that briefly, and, and thanks for giving me a minute there. Thank you. And if you would send me uh, an email or post it to the Facebook site, I will make sure that that information goes even further. Wonderful. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I mean, one of the goals of this program is to be supportive to all the activists that are out there. As I said at the beginning of the show, I was at Three Mile Island. I tried to be an activist in the wake of that, but quite frankly, the post-traumatic stress was so great. 
Um, and there was no context for it. Nobody even knew post what the term post-traumatic stress back then. That uh, I basically went sideways out of my life and out of activism and only rejoined after Fukushima. So anything I can do to support people such as yourself who have been activists for longer periods of time, who've got your fingers on, on, on all those information points and can get them out, that's what this program is about. I want it to be interactive, and I want the blog to be interactive. Now, I've mentioned the blog several times. Here's the big news. It's nascent. It doesn't have the right banner on the top, and it's looking pretty sparse. It's like a house that got moved into um, that only has like a corner of one room with furniture in it. But we are now up and running at NuclearHotSeat.com. Uh, I do have an archive of past programs there, the first blog post, and I will be posting information there as well as on Facebook so that people have access. And as soon as the uh, the uh, boomer Luddite learns how to be a techno whiz uh, or has somebody do it for her, these things will be linked to each other. Uh, I am getting a tremendous amount of help on tech, so that will help. Let me just go over the last few points that I have here. Um, that uh, my, I always like to include an holistic health tip for those of us who are dealing with either the emotional stresses or possibly the physical stresses of radiation in the wake of Fukushima. And uh, I've talked on the program before about taking detoxifying baths with clay, uh, either zeolite, bentonite, bentonite, or French green clay. I found a site that has really good information about it, not just about, you know, you should use these things, but how to use them and what the medical conditions you need to be aware of before you use them, just in case something is contraindicated. Um, the site is called Healing Clay Baths, that's plural, baths.com. Now, they do sell product. I don't know what product they sell. I'm not endorsing product, but I am endorsing the information that they provide because it's the, it, as I was looking for information on the bands, they had the best set of info that I could find. Um, and I think that's going to be it for this week. Uh, in close, I just want to remind you that this has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, August 9th, 2011, day 151 since the Fukushima tragedy began on March 11th. With my quick math, that's 458 radiation days from the nuclear reactors. Three reactors times 151 days. That's what we're dealing with. We are so far beyond Chernobyl, it can't even be computed at this point. Uh, with the website being live, you can find our information there, and we'll be posting as much information as comes through in the course of a week. You can also find our previous programs there, full archive. And in closing for today, this is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, where you learn the heart of the art of communicating. I want to remind you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, don't go back to sleep. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. <laughs>